greater determination than the community I think has ever had before because so many people are focused on it. It's such a controversial issue in the city right now. But I think out of that controversy is coming an attention uh, and, a, and, a, and a dedication uh, that would uh, uh, enable us actually to, to end homelessness in Austin. Welcome everyone to another GovGab podcast where we talk with city and county leaders across the country about their specific communities and the things that they're doing each and every day to enrich the lives of their citizens. I'm your host, Brian Andreco. So appreciative of y'all joining on this episode where we sit down with the mayor of Austin, Texas, Steve Adler. Now, Mayor Adler is in his second term as mayor, got elected in 2015. And not only do we talk about the great things that are happening in Austin, you know, why people are living there, why people want to come there and visit, but the measures that they're taking to, you know, understand that the population is only going to grow more each and every year. So how do they get ahead of that game and start solving some of these problems that they're seeing or think that will be coming down the road? So really enjoyed the conversation with Mayor Adler, appreciative of him joining on the episode today. And let's jump right into it. Without further ado, my chat today with Mayor Steve Adler. Mayor Adler, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Hey, it's great to be invited. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. And obviously, Austin's a big city. A lot of people know about it. I'm excited to, for you to share and to learn a little bit more about what's going on there. Um, I always like to take a step back if we can, kind of, you know, jump in the DeLorean, if you will. And uh, in your kind of mind, have you always wanted to be in kind of public office and, and run for mayor? Is that something that's happened more recently? Um, I know you got elected in 2015, or was it like years ago as a kid? You're like, I can't wait to, you know, do this. W- when did it start for you? I think I seriously thought about running for mayor uh, about 18 days before I made the decision. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was relatively late. You know, I've been involved in the community for a long time. Uh, I was involved in, in, in politics. Uh, not personally, but in supporting candidates or, or causes, but mostly at the federal or the state level. No, no, no real, not much of an involvement politically at the at the local level. Uh, so it was a it was a, a occurrence of events which uh, uh, ended up with me running. We we changed the form of government in Austin. We went from a seven person council that was an at large council. Uh, to one that had the entire city broken into 10 uh, districts. And each district elected a representative, the mayor being the only one elected citywide. And and research indicated that most cities and counties that move to a district system from an at-large system fail in the first two, four, six years because it devolves into a ward politic kind of thing. So there was a group of us that were involved in the community, knew that uh, it was going to be an entirely new council because as you, virtually everybody on the old council was from the same district when we broke it up into districts, right. which is one of the reasons why we needed to make that change. Um, so we wanted somebody new that would be, uh, rather than a council incumbent, uh, if it's going to be a whole new council, a whole new system, let's have a whole new mayor. And we went out and, and, and tried to recruit one. There were some folks in town that would have made great mayors, uh, but they all said no. 
So eventually we, we locked ourselves in a room and said, somebody has to stop what they're doing and go do this. And Diane and I drew the, the short straw. <laughs> and that's, and if I can ask one more question on that, because sure. it's something I actually, as I was researching a little bit, um, I haven't heard about too much. Is that, what's the popularity, I guess, of that 10-1 system? Is that done a lot around the country or is it very small amount? Uh you know, I, th I think that over time, more and more cities are going to a district system as opposed to an at-large system. Uh, at-large systems uh, oftentimes have difficulty um, uh, maintaining themselves because you don't get uh, a diverse council uh, that, that reflects the, the, the population. Because in a, in a city uh, where a few districts vote or a few areas of ten vote much more heavily than other areas of town, those areas that vote more heavily can usually control elections. Uh, so if you have an area of town that doesn't vote in the same numbers, which unfortunately in today's day and age usually correlate to communities of color, uh, oftentimes they don't have, uh, those communities don't have representation on, on a council. If you break the city into districts, then each area of the city is guaranteed to have their unrepresented absolutely yeah so when you when you went into office and you got to got to like to like were you nervous early on like of like what the heck did i get myself into or did you pretty much as you said you were kind of involved throughout you know in kind of other roles um and just kind of knew the system was it pretty easy to kind of get involved what, what how, how was it for you i'm curious well i can remember when i decided to run i had, I had trouble breathing for the first two weeks so i didn't have a clue as to what i was doing uh in, in that level and uh, I was running uh, largely as an unknown uh, relative to some other people that were in the in the race. Uh, so I, I I started off pretty pretty scared and and feeling really out of my my element. Uh, but a campaign is an absolutely wonderful thing to go through. And in a year on a campaign trail, uh, you you think you knew your city, uh, but but you realize you really don't until you have gone through that kind of an experience. Uh, by the time I came out of the campaign, um, I felt real comfortable uh, in, in, in the role. Uh, and again, I was with a council where virtually everybody was serving for the first time. Uh, there was only one uh, incumbent uh, that, that ran and was, was reelected to a council seat. So I was, among, I was among peers. I was among a group of people that were, were uh, trying to create something new. And what was probably the most, I, I guess, if you can remember back, and that was, uh, I guess, 2015, right? Yes. When, when you got elected. What was probably the biggest, um, I guess, unspoken challenge maybe that you remember back, maybe you didn't even consider and you're like, oh my God, this was, was actually something that really bothered you know, me or maybe it was maybe nervous or whatever. Well, the first, the, the, the unanticipated challenge from being elected that I saw after I was elected is that what you're asking? Yeah, exactly. Like, what was the biggest challenge? Like, you didn't even think about coming into the, the mayoral seat, if you will. And that, that almost kind of propped its head up after, afterwards. The, the incoming volume, uh, I did not anticipate. Uh, you know, I have my office, relatively small staff. Uh, we have lots of constituents calling and asking for assistance and help. And the truth is that, that if our office puts our shoulder to a constituent challenge or issue, we can usually get them uh, an answer more quickly or a better answer or a resolution than they can get on their own. Um, 
with the number of people that are calling in with constituent questions, I could spend all of my time and all of my staff time doing nothing but responding to constituent uh, inquiries, but you can't, can't do that. On any given Monday, there's a whole new set of issues that, that end up on my desk, that end up on my desk because they were hard and they couldn't be resolved uh, at some other place. Sometimes these issues that, that are new to me on Monday and need to be resolved that week, uh, somebody's been working on the community for three months or six months or two years, and it's one of the most important things in their lives. I could spend all of my time and all of my staff's time doing nothing but, but learning and understanding those new issues that come up every Monday. But of course, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And did you, did you have to take a step back from your full-time job or did you kind of split it up in a way where you had certain kind of office hours, if you will, as the mayor and also kind of continue doing your, your full-time role? No, this is a full-time job. In fact, I had to, uh, my, I left my law firm. I had to, to, to leave it uh, because it would have presented conflict of interest uh, with the role as, as, as mayor. Uh, and because my law firm kept my name, um, uh, I'm, I'm required by the bar to actually go to an inactive status. Hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm twice removed from, from my old job. Well, you're full in then as the mayor. That's good. You're full in and you're in your second term, right? I am. Got awesome. Last year. So help me out then with obviously, you know, most folks listen in, right? I mean, Austin's a, a pretty well-known city now. What's happened? I know you've been there obviously for, for a lot of years. Why has it grown so much? What's the biggest draw like been with Austin over the years? Because it has massively grown, I think, probably over the last, you know, what, 20 years or so, right? It has. Austin is the fastest growing large metropolitan area in the country and has been for each of the last eight years, uh, which is pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, you know, it's a magical place with a, with a really unique spirit and, and, and soul in this city. Uh, it's the live music capital of the world, we say, that has just phenomenal music playing in, 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 in over a couple hundred clubs on, on any given weekend night. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a city where the municipal swimming hole is a natural spring. Uh, but it's the people. Uh, there's a group of people that just self-select to, to live in this city. It's a city where the catchphrase is, is keep Austin weird. Uh, and that means lots of different things, lots of different people. To me, what that's always meant is we have a really high risk tolerance in the city. If you try something and you fail, in a lot of cities, you're punished. You never get another chance. And in this city, if you succeed the first time out, you're kind of suspect because no one knows if you were good or lucky. Uh, so the people that try something and it doesn't work and they have to iterate and try again and iterate and try again are the real civic folk heroes. Uh, but, it, but it makes then for a place that's cutting edge and, and truly innovative and and willing to, 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 to look for, for new ideas, to try new things, um, whether it be music or art or technology or, or solutions to, to social challenges. It's just a, a great place. You know, it's interesting that the growth here is geometric uh, and, and just off the charts. But if you look at the growth rate in Austin, which is doubling population in this regional metropolitan area every 20, 25 years, that growth rate has been the same in Austin since the 1850s. So there, there actually might be something in the water here. I don't, I don't know. 
Yeah, maybe. Well, it's, it's obviously a big tech hub, right? And I know, isn't it called like Silicon Hills or something? Isn't there some like term, right? There's a lot of, I know, uh, companies from from the uh, San Francisco area, if you will, that are coming this way right. uh, to Austin. What, is that just something, again, has that been growing slowly over the years or has a couple supplanted themselves in there a while back and now everyone kind of wants to that to be the new tech area? Well, uh, you know, it hasn't been tech for too long anywhere in the world. Uh, but we were one of the early cities in. Uh, there was a, a brilliant strategic decision that was made by the state and the University of Texas and the city of Austin. Some really uh, uh, wise uh, community leaders that went in early. Uh, we were able to land a, a national consortium that the government was putting together to make sure we weren't falling behind in the really old chip manufacturing days we had a couple of companies like 3m and ibm that that, that had a presence uh here uh, it didn't hurt that uh, michael dell uh built his first computer in his dormitory uh, uh room here at the university of texas right and then decided to stay here uh so we were in relatively early within the tech world that world hasn't existed that long but, but the same kind of, of iterative uh, problem solving that, that is incident to startups, uh, kind of the startup culture. You have a really good idea. Your parents put you in, 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 in pizza money for a year when you promise them that at the end of the year, if it doesn't work, you'll go back to school. And if you're still alive in a year, you know, there are metrics you just need to hit. So you, you, you get your first funding round from angels. You start trying stuff as quickly as you can. Uh, that, that philosophy is, is kind of cultural here. That's why I think we have more startups per capita than any other city. Uh, but it's why the tech stuff just really stuck here. And it goes back to what I talked about a, a little while ago where – this is a culture that encourages people to take risks and to think outside the box. Uh, you know, we had a mayoral candidate uh, a few years back that was known mostly for riding around Austin on his bike and a thong. Um, you know, it just is a, it's a weird place. Uh, but, but most people don't give that kind of thing a second look. Yeah. That, no, that's pretty neat. Well, so let's talk about your time in office there. What have you been the most proud of? You guys have gotten a lot accomplished, but is there one or two things that stick out that, that you've been the most proud of that you, know, you guys have accomplished? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud that, that as a city and a fast-growing city, a city that's doing so well, that the issues of uh, equity and, and access uh, are, are so paramount uh, here, uh, really fighting uh, the, the affordability issues uh, that, are, that are tough in a gentrifying city. More and more people moving in with higher and higher incomes make it harder and harder for the people that have been here for a long time to be able to 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 stay. Uh, so I'm really proud of the things that we've done in, in criminal justice to decriminalize misdemeanors, keep people out of out of jail that don't necessarily need to be there. The work we've done with housing, a community that just passed a quarter of a billion dollar housing bond, which was huge for us. Uh, the work we're doing now in the community on, on homelessness, difficult work. Um, the work we're doing on, on institutional racism and systemic uh, inequities in the city. Uh, these are all things that point to real challenges and underlying uh, concerns 
uh, in a city like ours, but, but we're meeting those things head on. So I would say social justice and equity and affordability, but we've also looked at that infrastructure. You know, this is a city that uh, everybody loves Austin. Their favorite day is the first day they got here. And they're sure that everybody who got here after them are the ones that started messing things up. Uh, but what that means that, you know, for years, we never really built the infrastructure that a growing city like Austin needed under the mistaken belief that if you didn't build it, people wouldn't come. Well, that actually doesn't work. People come anyhow. You just don't have the infrastructure to support it. So I'm proud of the mobility bond that we passed, which was uh, larger than anything we had done in the last 20 years cumulatively. I'm proud of the work we're doing right now to, to create a public mass transit system in the, uh, in the city. Can we go back to the, I'm really curious on the, the homelessness. How do you guys, how are you solving that? That's a, that's a big challenge, obviously, you mentioned. Are there certain steps that you guys have already taken or things that, you know, as a group, obviously with a lot of the uh, you know, help from a variety of groups trying to solve this? And is there, you know, do you see the outcome at the end of the, or the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will? Um, of well, this? Yeah, you know, we see the outcome. You know, we were one of a handful of cities to get to uh, uh, net effective zero for veterans uh, in our city. That doesn't mean there aren't any, it's not that we don't have any vets that are experiencing homelessness, but everyone we find, we can get into housing within 45 60 days and get them social services, wraparound services immediately. And the number of veterans that we're finding that are experiencing homelessness are no greater than, than the rate at which we're helping vets to, to exit homelessness. So we've reached an equilibrium place. But we need to scale that up to the whole city, and that's difficult. Uh, like many cities, we have kind of no camp, no sit, no lie ordinances that, that take the, the community experiencing homelessness and, and we, we hide it. Uh, in our in our forests, near our streams and green belts, uh, when we see it, we we just move people around from one place they shouldn't be to another place they shouldn't be. We're spending millions of dollars on that. So as a council, we 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 decriminalize the the mere fact of being uh, experiencing homelessness. We we kept the ordinances so as to prohibit anything that created a public safety risk or public health harm or blocking or impeding or aggressively confronting. But if you're doing nothing none of those things and you're just there on the street uh we decided that we didn't want to put you in jail we want to actually try to put you in a, in a home but by doing that then we had a lot of people that came out of the woods out of our rivers and our streams and under our and they moved to under our overpasses a much safer place for them to be uh, uh women that are in those kind of remote areas uh some of them are, are dealing with 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 a, a custom and practice of, of assaults that they've just accepted as part of their lives, but they can come out of that and be in an overpass where their public can see them. They're in a much safer place. It's easier for us to reach them and get them healthcare, but you have a community that looks up and, and suddenly there's this really visible uh, challenge. And while we didn't create any more people experiencing homelessness, certainly they're, they're, they're a lot more visible. And that's caused a lot of consternation in our community. The answer to that is to actually house those people. Uh, so we're marshaling resources with, with greater determination than the community I think has ever had before because so many people are focused on it. It's such a controversial issue in the city right now. But I think out of that controversy is coming an attention uh, and, a, and, a, and a dedication uh, 
that would uh, uh, enable us actually to to end homelessness in Austin, which is the goal. We can we could have hidden it more, kept it out of sight, but the numbers were going to keep growing, and the fear was that they would grow to such a level, like some of our sister cities in California on the West Coast, where the numbers are just so great now, I don't even know what you do in those cities. The scale in Austin is much smaller, and we're a community now that I that I hope and trust will we'll really deal with this in real ways while our number is relatively low, so that we, we don't have the issue in six years or nine years. Yeah. And one of the things I want to mention is, you know, the land development, because um, you guys have, I know, I think it was been 30 years or something like the actual code's been changed. And obviously, Austin looks a little different now than it did 30 years ago. How would you guys go about, and, I, and I'm more curious on the, the intertwinings of the, the council and how these decisions get made. Do you guys bring in a group of, as a citizen boards? Is it like, how does that work to actually change the codes? Because some of the stuff that I deal with on a daily basis, there's a lot that goes on with it. Can you just talk to that process of actually identifying this has to happen? And then how do you go about actually making that change? Well, you know, we have a code, as you say, that's, that's, that's 30 years old. Uh, and it has been amended so many times that, that it's really hard to pick up our code and figure out what the right answer is as to any kind of land development question. And it's not really serving us well. We, uh, because the code is so old, it's not helping us with climate change mitigation the way a new code might. Um, it's, 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 it's not doing everything it could do to help us fight back against gentrification and displacement. It's, it's not doing what it could to help us with, with traffic flow and mobility in the city. So I think everybody agrees a new code would be good. But once you move past that agreement, then it becomes a very emotional issue uh, because people, people want change until things start changing. Uh, everybody loves their neighborhood. They don't want their neighborhood to change. They're happy for somebody else's neighborhood to change, just not theirs. So as you look at redoing land development codes across the country, uh, a lot of those cities end up in a in a in a kind of a pitched battle between people that are kind of the the the, the new urbanists that are fighting for more and more dense development, more and more walkable streets, more and more mixed use, um, and then you have people that are fighting to preserve what they believe to be the the quality and feel and aesthetic of their single family, single family home neighborhoods. Uh, and you, you end up in a, in a pretty pitched battle. And a lot of cities have dealt with that. We're dealing with that now. We started like six years ago trying to, to redo our land development code. Uh, we pulled down the process because it wasn't getting us where we needed to be last year. Went through an election cycle uh, in, in November, uh, figuring at that point the, the voters could really indicate by who they elected, uh, their feel on that that question, that that policy difference, and our city voted, and I think uh, returned a council that was one that that had the votes now uh, with the community will to actually get the job done. So, uh, something that we couldn't get done in the preceding six years, I think we're going to get done here in, in in the first year of the response. And then how, do, so how does that impact when, so folks out there that aren't familiar with like land codes and everything, when that changes, like how does that, how would that impact Austin in a positive way? Well, you know, if, if we uh, change our zoning to let there be more dense development on, on streets and our corridors, that means that uh, you can have more mixed use. You can put residential units on 
what were formerly just commercial areas. But you could also go up a floor or two, I know two or three more stories than, than previously you could do. That enables you to increase the housing supply that exists in the city. But at some level, then, a higher house can look down on the, the backing neighborhood uh, in ways that, that you couldn't before. Uh, and neighborhoods, uh, uh, some neighborhoods object to that. If you take then the, 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 the first row of first block and a half or two next to those corridors, uh, and you say, we're going to now say, not only can you build a, a secondary, in a, in a, a single family home, but you can also build um, a, a duplex or a triplex or a quad. Uh, you can build more units. Again, that helps with housing supply in the city. The more supply you have, it's going to have an impact on, on price. Uh, but, you know, again, that changes the character and nature of the neighborhood because you're changing the structures that are there. I support that kind of change because I think our, one of our most significant challenges now is, is, is trying to maintain the population and the diversity that exists in our city. We need to do everything we can to, to keep prices of homes going up as much as they've been going up. And I think supply would help. I also think affordability is going to be addressed if we can get a transit system that really works in our city. In order for that to happen, you have to have a lot of people riding it. You're going to have more people riding it the more people you have living along the transit corridors in our city. That means increased density uh, of people uh, to, to be better uh, allow for, for transit. That means you don't necessarily have parking spaces associated with homes. That creates a controversy uh, in a in a city but if you really want people to use transit if you're going to provide better transit you don't need a parking space uh, for that and you could build another unit instead of having to to create more parking spaces on, on properties so it's those kind of interplay yeah and actually that's, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up again because i want to chat the last thing with is around mobility you mentioned with the light rail and these proposed changes i mean because there's a lot of big cities out there right we, we see it on the news the you know, they're backed up on their interstates and there's just a lot of traffic and issues. Obviously, you guys are trying to get ahead of that. So talk through that just a little bit more. Like, what's the expectation when you get a light rail in? Um, the impact, obviously, it seems like some positive impact, right, around the city to be able to divert traffic, if you will, I guess. And, you know, who knows, makes it safer, I'm assuming, as well. There's probably a variety of positives. And it does. You know, if you ask most people in this city what they think their biggest challenges are, you're going to hear affordability from a lot of them and all the issues associated with that. But the other large answer you're going to hear is, is going to be about mobility. I mean, it wasn't that long ago you could get anywhere in Austin from one place to another in 15 minutes. And people still think that way. But during peak hours, it could, it could take you a half an hour, 45 minutes to, to do the same thing. So it's a, it is a huge issue and people are, are, are pretty upset with the level of congestion that exists in this city. I think it's all relative. I've, seen it in LA and I've seen it in other cities, but, but here it's still a very real problem. 74% uh, of the people that work in our downtown area commute in and out every day alone in a single, single person, single occupant vehicle. Uh, and, and if we're going to have a city that still functions in 30 years, we can't have 74% of the people. Our population is expected to double. We'll go from 1 million to 2 million people in the city and 2 million people to 4 million people in the metropolitan area. We can't have 74% of those people commuting downtown. No one will be moving, which means we have to get people to shift mode. 
we have to get people to start using transit. But no one's going to use transit until it's faster and quicker and cheaper uh, and more convenient. So we have to build that system in order to be able to to incent people to get out of their cars and to and to try something else but once we're able to do that we know from looking at other cities around the world it's a much more pleasant city to be able to live in it's an easier city to live in it's a less expensive city to live in once you can establish that uh, it's always hard on these on these challenges to start the change uh, but you kind of have to lower your head and barrel through it yeah, that first step is always the toughest, but I think, yeah, folks see that there's, hey, there's a light at the end of the tunnel in a few years, here's really where we can be impacted. Yeah. Um, I think you get a lot of folks around that. So, Mary, last thing I want to ask you, because I know, you know, you got to run, is what kind of advice would you give to, I mean, you obviously been, been in the seat, you've been in for, you know, four-ish years. Anyone else that's either running for mayor or maybe a council seat, um, kind of in other, either neighboring cities or I guess across, across the country, any advice you'd give to them? Um, or really just the citizens, I guess, in general, to get out there with their, their office or their, their community to actually give back and, and kind of anything you would share kind of as advice to help them at least make those decisions or to uh, maybe give them some like the rah-rah cheering, like, hey, go out and actually help out. Anything you'd share that was helpful for you to kind of get you over the edge to, uh, to run? Well, first, I'd say that, that, that certainly from this vantage point, I know in ways I never knew before how much the quality of life in a city and the city's ability to be able to move forward is not, does not come from government. It comes from all of the nonprofits and all of the, 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 the boards and the, and the commissions. It's, it's the citizen engagement in, in so many different ways and so many different organizations that really make a city work and government at best just tries to fill in the gaps for what the community is not otherwise doing. Uh, so I would urge everybody, you know, you don't have to run for mayor. You don't have to run for city council. There are incredible ways to, to really help a community. And quite frankly, I think that anybody that's living in a community has some measure of responsibility and, and duty to, to, to do that, to give back to the community. Now, that said, uh, being mayor or being on the city council enables you to to be able to do good work at a, at a much higher scale, uh, to be able to impact a greater number of lives, to, to be able to move obstacles uh, in a way that you can't when you're outside of government and just in a, in a nonprofit, say. Uh, so I would say that, that I have never done anything that is as difficult as this job, but I've never done anything that was anywhere near as rewarding. Uh, as this job as 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 well, uh, I know my city right now, uh, and like I said earlier, I thought I knew my city before, uh, but I've had a chance to meet so many people that are doing so many wonderful things in so many places that no one ever sees, um, but we've all felt the impact of the work that people are doing. The vantage point of being mayor is is just it's just unique. Uh, and it is, it is wonderful. Well, Mary, thank you so much for joining. I'm, I'm excited to, to get back to Austin, see all the changes you guys are making and uh, hopefully listen to some great music as well. Um, so thank you so much for taking uh, time out and, and sharing a little bit about Austin and some of the great things you guys are doing. Absolutely. Come back home. 
Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that episode and look forward to having you on the next one. And remember, you can check out all of our great podcast episodes around operations management and the unsung heroes that are trying to help impact the communities that you guys live, work, and play in. Operate Intelligently podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts and other ways that you guys listen. So not just the GovGab, but there's a lot of other stuff as well if you stay subscribed. And as always, if you guys enjoyed this episode or others on the Operate Intelligently podcast, please leave a rating, give us a review, let us know how we're doing so we can make this podcast better each and every episode. We thank you again for listening in. We're certainly appreciative of it. Hope you have a phenomenal day and we'll talk to you soon.